0: I want to point out two things real quick. We just saw life right here in the baptisms. Earlier today, there was a bombing uh, in Egypt. Maybe some of you have read about it uh, in your uh, news feeds. And before we get into the message, I just want to pray. Because there is a sense in which this world uh, feels like it's spinning out of control. In which the image bearers of God enact violence on fellow image bearers of God. And we have a chance every Sunday to celebrate life. We have a chance every day when we interact with fellow image bearers of God to celebrate life. And to speak of life. And to live a testimony about life and to live a testimony that says that this, this feeling of spinning out of control that we, we get when we read the news and when, when, when we, if you've <laughs> looked at your, the news this past week as violence seems to, to be escalating, regardless of where you fall politically, all that gets pushed to the side when we get to live a witness of what it means to live a different way, to live the way that we were created to live, to live out of the image of God that is in us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we take so many things for granted, when we, when we get distracted, when the things of this world uh, consume our attention. And when we get off mission, Lord, may we be a community, may we be a people that is marked by the way that we live distinctly, that uh, we live differently and we live lives that point to life, that we live lives that honor you, not just with our words, but with our actions. With our interactions. With the way that we speak to each other. And the way that we speak to all who bear your image. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so. how you know, Transition out of. <laughs> uh, here's a question. What, what do you want? What would make you happy? What is it that that drives your worries or anxieties what what drives your joy what I'm really asking or, or kind of getting at here is what what is it that you pray for and I'm not talking about like you know the prayer like when you sit down for a test or when you have to make a presentation in front of your boss and you're just like Lord let this go okay I'm not talking about the type of prayer you pray when you're you know, kind of frustrated at traffic and you know the bridge is closed at 85 and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, if I can zoom over here, and you kind of like zoom around and then all of a sudden you see an officer pull in behind you. I'm not talking about the prayer, the anxiety that you feel in that moment, you know, the, the, the circumstantial prayers. I'm talking about what are the prayers that consume your attention, those prayers that you've prayed for seasons of life, that, that maybe there's there's something going on uh, maybe it's health uh, f- for a family member who is struggling with an illness maybe it's finances maybe you've you've struggled and, and you're looking into you know kind of your financial picture and you're just praying God I, I I need you to show up here now the prayers that I'm talking about are, are often prayers that they're not just words they're not just prayers but they're also things that we are looking and we are physically like Acting on and we are trying to bring them about so if you're praying for finances, maybe you're actively trying to make Wiser decisions with your money if it's a relationship Maybe at the same time you're praying god. I just I need you to show up in this relationship I need you to change my heart. I need you to change this other person's heart But at the same time while you're praying that you're actively trying to use influence You're actively trying to grow into the the man or woman that god is creating within you those type of prayers. So what is it that you're praying for? I think, I think each and every one of us has one of those. If, if you don't have one of those right now, maybe your prayer is, you know, God, I just finished praying for this big, heavy thing for a season of life. I, I am praying that a big, heavy thing for the next season of life doesn't come just yet. Maybe your prayer is that, you know, you don't want one of those prayers right now because those prayers tend to be heavy. Uh, but I bet if we were to go out to lunch or grab a coffee or something, and we talked and had a conversation, you would eventually come around and say, yeah, this is, there's something that kind of dominates my attention, my focus. Uh, and what I want to invite you to do right now is to pull out that uh, sermon talk sheet, the piece of paper, or maybe your smartphone. If you don't have something to write down, uh, maybe pull out your phone and open up that Notepad app. And this is important because we're going to use it later on in the message. And I'm going to give you a couple seconds, and I want you to write down just a word or two, maybe a phrase. Whatever, something that represents that prayer in your life. That prayer that you've prayed, that prayer that every time you go into your devotional time and, and you come before your Heavenly Father in prayer, that just kind of seems to rise out of your heart, seems to ru- bubble up towards the surface. So just take a couple seconds and write down a word or two. Think on that prayer. Okay, we've been in the book of John for a little while now, and one of the reasons we're doing this, as Wesley mentioned last week, is that we believe as Christians that we are created in the image of God, and that as as Christians, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. That is, the the biblical witness says that God created it in God's image, both male and female are, are created in God's image. And that as as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit that is living and dwelling in us and seeks to do work within us and seeks to transform us into the likeness of Christ, into the very image of Christ. And so the reason we're in the gospel of John, the reason we're in this text, you know, for and we're kind of walking pretty slowly through it is because we want to look at the way Jesus interacted with people. We want to look at the way Jesus interacted with those uh, in power and authority. We want to look at the way Jesus interacted with those without Power and authority we want to look at the way jesus taught the way he related with his closest friends we want to look at the relationship that jesus had with the father and what it means that jesus invites us to call god father and so while that's why we're we're kind of walking slowly through this book of john and today we're in john chapter six and it was read earlier and usually when we're in a narrative, you know, kind of a, a, a text that tells a story, what I like to do is, you know, read a little bit and talk some, read a little bit and talk some, you know, give some history, some context. But we're not going to do that today. Today, uh, we have a picnic after lunch, and so I don't want to get everybody hungry. You know, I mean, I, you know, so so we're gonna we're gonna kind of move things along here. Uh, What we're going to do is I'm going to kind of sum up, you know, kind of give some highlights for this text. I'm going to pull out one theme that seems to lie right underneath the text. I'm going to illustrate it, and then we're going to do something with that prayer that you wrote down. And that's it. That's the sermon. So it should be quick, easy, and simple. All right. First thing we see in the text, it's Passover week. And so this is kind of the culmination. This is the... um, the climax of the Jewish religious calendar. So uh, there are large crowds, and uh, because it's Passover, you know, uh, one of the things, whenever you uh, read this text, or at least for me, when I first read this text, I say, man, the unemployment rate must be astronomical in Jerusalem, that 5,000 men are just kind of like, hey, let's go up to the hillside and see what Jesus is doing today. Uh, But but what's actually happening here is that people would pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And, and so they're, they're very well, like, this is, like, it's not that everybody's unemployed. It's that there, there are these crowds that have taken their, their time to come into the city. So it's Passover week. These crowds, these large crowds, saw that Jesus was doing, saw the signs that Jesus was doing among the sick. And so the text tells us, one, there are large crowds. It's Passover, a bunch of people there. And then, two, that they noticed that something was different about Jesus. That there was something different about Jesus that didn't really apply to everybody else. That Jesus was doing something special, something unique. And they were wanting to find out more about that. So they were seeking Jesus out. Next, the text tells us that Jesus saw the crowds were Following him. And Jesus looked up. Uh, it says he sat on the hillside and then he looked up and he saw the crowds. After Jesus saw the crowds, uh, he turns to one of the disciples, one of his friends, and he says, So uh, are you buying lunch today? Uh, and, and after some dialogue, they kind of go back and forth, and Jesus knew what he was doing. But Andrew, uh one of the disciples, finds a boy that has what the text says is five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, we know that these weren't like loaves of bread, but they were probably more something like a pita wrap, you know, or or a biscuit. Uh, And in honor of uh, Wesley's confession last week about how much he loves sardines, we can think of the two fish (laughs) as sardines. And some of you are saying, you weren't even here last week. And I wasn't. I was on spring break. But we've got a newly redesigned website that you can go to and you can listen to the messages each week. So, you know, good plug for that. Uh, so, five feet of loaves and, you know, uh, two sardines there. They, they bring them to Jesus. Jesus takes, takes the, the provisions. He blesses them and then he gives them to the disciples to distribute. Everybody eats their fill and they have leftovers. Now, I've got a preteen in my house. Uh, and if you've ever had a preteen or a teenage son, then you know there is a difference between eating until you're not hungry and eating until you're full. Because if you let them eat until they're full, they won't stop eating. (laughs) You can't. But the text says that they ate until they were full. It's not just that they weren't hungry. They had their fill. And there was leftovers. And there was all kinds of neat things that we could talk about with the leftovers and the 12 baskets, the leftovers. But we're going to save that for another time. Next, the text tells us that the people began to talk. They began to talk amongst themselves and say, this Jesus, there's something unique. There's something different. I bet he's the prophet who's come into this world. And then Jesus kind of sensing the... The mood of the crowd makes a quick exit uh, so that the crowd doesn't take him by force, the text says, and crown him king. So that's an overview of what's going on in the text. But I think what lies underneath the surface of this text is the difference between seeing and seeing. And I bet you know the difference, and we're all wise people in here, but I'm going to illustrate it, so just humor me while I kind of illustrate the difference between seeing and seeing. Uh, Seeing would be if I'm working on my computer, doing some homework, or maybe I'm trying to look like I'm doing homework and I'm really just on Facebook, and my wife comes in the door, I see her, and I say hello. That's one type of seeing, and that's... Legitimate, and I I had an answer, and that's a response. And there's there's nothing necessarily wrong with that now. But there's another type of seeing. Maybe I'm working on my uh, computer or just on Facebook, uh, and my wife comes in the door, and I see her. And maybe there's a little bit of weariness, or or maybe she looks just a little bit tired. I understand she is a public school teacher. I understand that. By the way, the great news, she's pregnant with our daughter that will be due in September. And I understand this. Maybe I can see the tension in her shoulders. So I put down my laptop and I go over and I say, how was your day? Is there anything I can do to help? That's a very different type of seeing than that first seeing. And that's what's going on here in the text. Let's go ahead and put up these two verses. Verse 2, it says, A large crowd kept following him, him being Jesus, because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. And verse 26, later on in the text, and, and I'll set it up for you, but Jesus answered them very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, um, last time I preached, uh, I, I introduced a, a term that I like to use, especially when studying text, a term that I, uh, a phrase that I use, it's optimistic skepticism. meaning that whenever I go into the text, I want to be I, I am optimistic because I know that it is trustworthy. I know that it is reliable. I know that it is inspired. I know that it is beneficial for teaching and encouragement. But there's a sense in which I go and I am asking questions because I want to grow closer to God and I want to understand what's going on. And uh, let's go back to that other side. And so when I see two verses that seem to say very different things, the first two says they were following him because they saw the signs, and then later on Jesus says, you weren't following me because you saw the signs. It makes me want to ask questions. It makes me want to read deeper, and that's a good thing. And if you see something like that in the text, what you should do is ask more questions. Send a bunch of emails to Wesley. And (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> send some emails to me. I, I, I'll answer those. but Or look into a commentary. Because what's going on here, there is something underneath that service. And Jesus is pushing back. And now we can go to that next slide now. Because what's actually going on in this text is that there are two different Greek words that are being translated for the same English word. And you don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand that. Jesus is saying something. Jesus is is pushing back on on the people's understanding. And so the first word in verse 2 is theoreo, which is where we get our word for theater, um, which is more of like a seeing and experiencing. I have been to plenty of movies where I've walked out, and I didn't understand what the director or actors were trying to do. Uh, you know, the phrase that, that is used a lot is, that is two hours of my life that I will never get back. <laughs> and so I saw the movie. I saw what was, I experienced it, but I didn't understand it. And uh, in, in, the, in verse 26, what Jesus is saying, and just to you know, kind of set the context, this is outside of, of our passage that we're looking at this week, but after Jesus makes this quick exit, He goes to the other side of the lake. The next morning, the people wake up and they're looking for Jesus because they want a king. They're looking for the king. They're like, hey, it is time to kick the Romans out. It is time to make some sense of our history. We know about the years of slavery, the wandering in the desert, and they're thinking Passover. So they're kind of rehearsing their history. They've been thinking about this, dwelling on this. We know about the, the frustration of nation building and the judges and the kings and, you know, the times when we did good and the times when we, you know, didn't do so hot. Um, and, and that we know about the discipline of, of exile and return. And they're thinking about this empire after empire that had just used the, the Jewish people as like a rag doll. Like just stomped over Jerusalem, did whatever they wanted to the region. They need a king. They want a king. So they're looking for Jesus. And they follow him and they say, where'd you go? How did you get here? When did you get here? Why did you leave us? Why did you go to the other side of the lake? And Jesus tells them, you're following after me. Not because you understood the signs, but because you simply had your fill of the loaves. Jesus, in a sense, tells them. I refuse to be the king you want because I have to be the savior that you need. I refuse to be the king that you want because I have to be the savior that you need. Jesus had a bigger picture, had a bigger vision in mind. And now, the texts like this, they are, um, well, this text specifically is kind of dripping or, or saturated with this idea of divine uh, 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 provision. That's the word I'm looking for, divine provision, where God provides what the people need. He provides the nutrition. But this isn't a name it and claim it or a kind of health and wealth type message. This is actually something uh, much more subversive. This is actually something that is, that is hard because Jesus is saying, listen, I want to come in and save the day, and I want to come in and give you everything that you could ever desire and everything that you want, but you really actually don't... <laughs> want that because you need a savior jesus could have been the king they wanted but he chose to be the savior that they needed the best way i can think to illustrate this is actually from a scene in the life of paul Uh, uh, paul refers to this this um, the idea of a thorn in the flesh he had something that was a hindrance to him and so he writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. Let's go ahead and put that one up. It's in 2 Corinthians yeah, uh, 12, uh, starting in verse 8. And so Paul, he has this this thing that's going on, and he says that it actually hinders him from doing what God called him to do. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever had a prayer where you're saying, God, if you don't, I need you to intervene in my life. Because if you don't take this away, I can't do what you've called me to do. That's the prayer Paul's praying. Maybe, you know, that, that prayer that we referenced earlier or that you wrote down earlier is something like that. God, if you don't intervene in this relationship, I can never be taken seriously and I can't fulfill the, the, the challenge that you've given me to preach the gospel or or maybe god i need you to show up in my finances because if you can show up in my finances then or if you don't then i won't be able to do what you've called me to do and and paul is, is praying a prayer very much like that and it says that three times i let's just read it three times i appealed to the lord about this that it would leave me and we shouldn't think of like i just prayed three prayers, but three seasons of life, Paul prayed for this to leave him. But he, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell within me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, And calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had to move past just seeing the thorn in the flesh. And I don't know if he ever truly understood it. But he had to move into a realm in which he could understand it. He had to open up to the idea that this thorn was actually part of God's grace for him. I mean, have you ever stopped to consider grace? Have you, I mean, we talk about grace a lot. We sing about it. It's one of our values. But grace is uh, it's a hard word to define in some ways. I've heard people say, well, grace is unmerited favor. And I think that's supported by the biblical witness. I think uh, I've also heard grace uh, spoken of in the same, you know, kind of compared to mercy that Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Like if you deserve a punishment and you don't get that punishment, that's mercy. Where grace is when you get what you don't deserve, meaning that you deserve a punishment but you get a reward. That would be grace. And I think that too is supported by Scripture. But I think in texts like this where Paul's saying that the Lord said, my grace is enough for you. In texts like James and Peter where we read that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble those texts beg for a broader, more uh, expansive understanding of grace. So for us today, I want to define grace simply as this. Grace is what's needed for the moment, in the moment, every moment. Grace is what's needed for the moment, in the moment, every moment. That His grace is not necessarily circumstantial, but it looks down into each circumstance and it gives what is needed. Maybe you're like me and you've had an experience where you you've walked away from an encounter or, or from something and you said, "I don't think I could do that again if I tried. I don't think I could be able to be as bold as I was there. There was there was a strength that came upon me. There was there was a way that I was able to endure up underneath this that temptation that." I feel like should have crushed me. I was able to be bold in, in my interactions and in, in the way that I spoke about my faith in a way that I, that's grace, what's needed in the moment, for the moment, every moment. And this, this type of grace doesn't separate grace from truth, but, it, but grace understands that there is a moment for truth. There is love and acceptance, but yet there is truth as well because grace is what's needed In the moment, for the moment, every moment. Jesus looks down on Paul and says, My grace is sufficient for you. You can stand up underneath this. And we've got these palm plants here because today's Palm Sunday. And there was another time when there was a crowd in Jerusalem for Passover week. Much like the text, That we were looking at today. And they had been watching Jesus for years now. They've been watching him. They've they've been kind of tracking his progress. And they believed, yeah, he's it. He is the prophet. He is the one that we've been waiting for. He is the king. He is the Messiah. And the crowd roared, the crowd cheered. They threw their, their, their clothes on the ground. They threw the palm branches on the ground so that the, the, the donkey that Jesus was riding in town didn't even have to have its hooves touch the dust. They cried out, Hosanna, which means save us. They cried out to Jesus, save us. And they were praising him. They said, save us, save us now. Save us in the highest. Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna To him who comes in the name of the Lord, King of Israel. And what does Jesus do? When Jesus sees this praise, this this rightly placed praise and adoration. But maybe a little misintentioned. Luke tells us that Jesus looked out at the crowd and he cried. And I don't think it was just because he knew what was going to happen his body in the next week. I think he cried because as a father there are things that I want to do for my kids. But I know there are things that I have to do for my kids. And he knew the confusion. He knew the, the emotional the stress, the turmoil, he knew the hopes and the desires, and he knew that this, this, this yearning, this longing for a king came out of a good place. But he looks out at them and he cries because he knows that he will not be the king that they want, because he must be the savior that they need. He cries because it's going to be difficult, but his grace will be sufficient it's the same thing he says to Paul, to that crowd. It's the same thing that God's been saying throughout the history of creation. It's the same thing that God says to you, and it's the same thing that God says to me here today. That my grace is sufficient for you. I won't be the king that you want. Because I'm the savior that you need. Now, you would pull those prayers that you kind of jotted down back up recall them kind of in your mind or pull that piece of paper out open that uh, note that you made on your phone and what we're going to do next maybe a little bit difficult I know it's difficult for me but I urge you to to engage this and if you're not a Christian, maybe you're you're here because you heard there was a free lunch after service, which there is. So you know you're in the right place. Or maybe you're here because, <laughs> because you know you've got some kid or grandkids or or or, or somebody you know is going to be in in the uh, kids' performance is uh, going to happen. This is a great Sunday for you to be here because you kind of get to lean in and see how. Christians view prayer and how Christians view, you know, kind of how things work behind the scenes. But I would also urge you, if you're not a Christian, to try and engage in this as well because when you release your stresses, your fears, your anxieties to the only person who can do anything about it, there is a freedom that comes with that. And if you are a Christian, then this is for you and this is for me. And my challenge to you is to not just make this a one time thing. But every day this week, think on that prayer and then make this statement that we're fixing to make. I'm gonna, Don't put the slide up yet, but I'm going to read this statement. And in a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to look at that prayer, to, to read your prayer. And then we, as a community, are going to read boldly and loudly, not just murmuring, you know, but boldly and loudly, we're going to read this statement, this prayer, this declaration. We're going to say... I give this prayer into your hands, and I declare that your grace is sufficient for me, and I will not ask you to be the king I want because I know you are everything I need. And we're going to let that just resonate with us. And we're going to say that, God, we see, but we don't always see. We don't always understand. And this isn't a surrendering of, like, this isn't a, well, I'm just handing it over to you and, and you know, forget, you know, me trying again or bringing it up again, you know, that, you, i, I you know maybe you've had one of those those times when you're like well fine if that's the way it's going to go i'm just never going to bring it up again that's not what this is this is actually just the opposite this is a leaning in this is a praying with even more and greater intensity this is a i'm going to study your word so that i can be shaped in your image so i can be transformed into the image of christ i'm going to engage you in such a way that this prayer is my passion so that i can understand so that I can see clearly what you're doing in my life and so that you may shape this prayer within me and so that you may give me the prayer that I'm asking for or at least the understanding the vision to know what to do next so if you would take a moment and look at those prayers maybe pray it to yourself think of it think of your prayer that you wrote down Now let's put that slide up, and let's read this together. I give this prayer into your hands. I declare your grace is sufficient for me. I will not ask you to be the king that I want, because I know you are everything I need. Amen. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Your grace is sufficient for us. Your grace is sufficient for me. Lord, you created everything around me, and you are a giver of good gifts. Lord, may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May you give us wisdom, may you give us understanding. Lord, I pray that this is not just a declaration that we we say here on Sunday morning, but this is something that we, we grow to live our lives by, to bring our wants and our desires and our hopes and our joys to your throne, and to give them over and to say, Lord, this is what I want and this is what I desire, but I know that your grace will be there when I need it, and your grace is sufficient for me. And I am sacrificing my wants on your altar because I know that you are more than enough and you are everything that we need. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray.